This episode is brought to you by Tarkine. Tarkine produces the world's most eco-friendly, high-performance running shoes. Along with this, they take responsibility for the full life cycle of their shoes. Tested on elite runners. Suitable for anyone who cares about the planet, comfort and style. Tarkine. Hashtag run the future. Now available at Tarkine.com. Use code RTPODCAST for 10% off your first order. Hey everyone, I'm your host Sam Burke. Today we caught up with athlete manager James Templeton, who has managed some of the biggest names in track. From the second fastest 1500 metre runner of all time, Bernard Gap, to the world 800 metre record holder, David Odisha. He currently manages a stable that includes some of Australia's biggest stars, such as Peter Bowl, Jai Edwards and Badiria Boya. We caught up with JT for an in-depth look into the life of an elite athlete manager. James, great to have you on Runner's Tribe, mate. We've had you on Runner's Tribe a few times over the years uh, for written interviews and stuff like that, but it's, it's good, to, good to actually um, have, a, have a podcast with you. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, good to be back. It's been a couple of years. I think we've done a few long-form interviews, email and the like, but, yeah, great to be on the uh, podcast. Right, let's kick it off. Uh, you're known for managing famous athletes, like some of the biggest names to ever live, like you know David Radisha. Um, lately, there's obviously been a bit of a shift into managing more Australians. Uh, you've got a bunch of new athletes um, that have joined up. I just wanted to go into that. Was that a conscious shift of, on, from you to, to move into, into more Australian athletes? Well, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I during the years with Rudisha and the obviously tail end of Legat's career, Bernard Legat, um, I, I'd always uh, had an involvement with young Joe Dean as a youngster, you know, a teenage guy and through the World Juniors in his early years. So I just sort of kicked on from that. And Peter Bowl, of course, um, fell in into that uh, a couple of years um, later. And uh, so I, I had the two Aussie boys, and it's been really this year. Look, I, I finished, Rudisha and I reached our natural course at uh, the end of the 2017 season, and uh, I moved away from there, and I felt like, I'd done my dash 20-odd years, 20 years or so, 21 years, I'm sure, uh, in Kenya. And uh, so I was a bit of a part-time guy, really, for a year or so with Joe and Pete. And now it's just unfolded the last uh, the last year. Um, got involved with Jai Edwards, Rory Hunter, and, and of course, Dick Telford, the coach, and uh, Ben Derry, uh, Aboya, as she's... Uh, Stepped up to 800 with Justin in Melbourne, so I've expanded, expanded to the five uh, Aussie athletes, and I've got a couple overseas. Um, the there were the remnants of the, uh, you know, the sad, um, sad death of my my close close pal Andy Stubbs last year, and I helped out with some of his athletes last year, and uh, I've kept on with just a few of them, and. Yeah, it, it, it's good. I'm in a good situation with a good group of athletes and, yes, more Australians than before, that's correct. How did it come to pass with, with those three new athletes, Jai, Rory and Ben Deary, 
did they uh, kind of all reach out to you? Uh, how did how did that all happen? Uh, uh, like everything, these situations sometimes are convoluted. But but Joy and Rory uh, um, were, were were looking around and spend a bit of time together by chance in Tübingen before the before the Olympics. Pete was heading off, and uh, the guys came in with Dick for uh, 10 days or so and we got on pretty well and we, we didn't have any chats then but uh, Rory and I conversed and post-Olympics um, uh, the, the, the guys both indicated they'd love love to join in with me or for me to take them on and uh, I readily agreed um, it happened yeah I guess August and Benderi, I was down in Melbourne in November visiting, visiting Joe. And, of course, I've been a big admirer um, of Benderi's running as a 400-metre runner these last years. But like a few people, I've been, I've been hoping to see the day when she would step up to 800. So she moved to Melbourne, joined in with Justin's group, uh, with Pete and Joe. And she, she uh, asked to meet me for coffee uh, what are we, late November, and said, uh, would I consider taking her on, that it would be a, a great natural fit now she's running 800. And I readily agreed that too. Gotcha. Awesome, awesome. Hey, a quick question about value. Like, um, let's just concentrate on Jai Edwards. You know, Jai is a sort of runner that, you know, uh, if you're in, the, in, in that elite scene and you understand middle distance running, he is obviously a superstar, 349, 27 mile for the mile, and and Bizzle last yep. year, and um, you know, like he, he's he's like a royalty in terms of when you understand the sport. But how the, how valuable is a guy like Jai to a huge shoe company? You know, uh, I'm not sure who what company he actually runs for, but you know, how much value does a guy like Jai, who if I went out on the street and quizzed a hundred normal Australians, uh, I bet you not one of them has heard of him. How, how do we justify and how does a guy like that get valued when you're doing your, your negotiations? Well, okay, so he he's now sponsored by Adidas and uh, I went, is sponsored by Adidas out of Amsterdam. Um, there's a guy uh, called Spencer Nell there, head of their global sports marketing uh, for track and field, and he's been a big uh, supporter of uh, Pete Bowl, Dean and me these recent years. So I I filled him in um, on uh, Jai. He knew Jai had seen him run, but didn't you know didn't know details or whatever. And I uh, we, we had a great. I've, I went to Amsterdam. I was in uh, Tubingen near Stuttgart at the time. We went to Amsterdam and. Uh, Spence was very keen to add him to the stable. Um, the prospect of him joining the group, as it were, joining him with Pete and Joe in Tübingen during the European summer, um, that was appealing to the company. He, he liked the direction that Australian athletics is going. The Australian track and field team seems on the up. Um, you know, we, we, most of us would say it went pretty well in Tokyo and... Spencer wanted to expand a bit in Australia and he wanted to work further with me and he, he liked what he saw about Jai and Rory. So he was very happy to add them to the global brand. And in terms of... Now, as for your comments... As, yeah. As for your 
comment as what the average person in the street in Australia look, obviously I wouldn't have a clue. They'd, they'd probably have a hard time saying where do they fit in between Ash Party and, you know, Sonny Bill Williams and, uh, you know, whoever else, um, you know, but that it's sort of irrelevant. You know, I, I'm happy to be dealing with the global, the global operation out of uh, Amsterdam. They, they've got very much a global global perspective they want a team representing the brand and uh they they like these guys and they like our group gotcha and 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 is that how important is that working with the actual global headquarters of these major brands because because you know i mean we've all i heard the stories of approaching you know even the ma- the major brands um their australian branch and and their budgets are shit and uh and, it, and it's hard to get any sort of deal off the ground, whereas uh, is that the vital element here in terms of getting these guys proper contracts, just bypassing the Australian division and just going going into internationally to the, to the headquarters? Uh, well, I mean, maybe that sounds a bit uh, crude, but yes, it's probably true. Um, obviously, a global operation with a global budget with athletes from various parts of the world are going to value it differently to say perhaps an Australian company will value it with a more limited budget. Um, you know, that's a roundabout way of saying, yes, you're, you're, you're sort of correct in how you say it, that it's definitely advantage dealing with the global operations. Gotcha. And just specifically, uh, just back to the, the prior question, like a, a company like Adidas, they look at Jai, right? Like is, will they get their money back when... Uh, for example, Stewie last season, the last few seasons in most of the European races, he's been at the front and he's been hanging on to uh, Chariot uh, and Britain and, uh, you know, getting a lot of TV time, right? Photos going viral, videos going viral. A lot of a lot of his brand and the Nike symbol has been there. Like, is that where it's at for these big companies, uh, TV time and trying to pick athletes? I mean, Jai obviously has the ability to, to be at the, you know, the front of those fields as well. Is that... Is that what they see and is that what they're trying to get out of this? Or is it just they have such big budgets and so much money, they just want to get get the best athletes and it's as simple as that? No, no, you're right in the, your first description. And, of course, they're looking to sign people that are going to be competing in Diamond League events, global championships, you know, running through to finals and Adidas shoes there and... Uh, yeah, they're um, they're taking a keen eye on performance, absolutely. And as most people know in the sport, these contracts generally have a base level, but they're heavily remunerated on rewards from performance. You know, bonuses for, of course, medals and and national records and diamond league wins and. Uh, that sort of situation, places in major events. So absolutely, they're, they're looking at performance. They want well-performed athletes representing the brand. That be Adidas or, or some other, the companies are all the same. They're, they're very proud and thrilled when one of their athletes wins a medal, they celebrate it. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they, they very much, you're part of the brand, you're, part, you're taken on as part of the family. Right. JT, uh, there's obviously agents out there with, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 athletes in their stables and there's agents out there 
with half a dozen or whatnot. And how, I just want to touch on that. How involved are you um, with the day-to-day happenings of your athletes? Yeah, well, of course, the, the fewer athletes you have, and it, it, you can choose to operate however you like. And as you say, there's some agents, some European agents would have, I don't know, 50, 60, 80 athletes, and they basically they're booking races for athletes as needed. Now, I do that, but obviously with a number of, with having under 10 athletes, my, my focus, my enjoyment, and what I've done for 25 years, I live, eat, and breathe, breathe uh, performance and high performance and how do we get athletes to the best level and so I, I very much uh, am involved in that um, I don't just sit in the background and say hey tell me where you want to go overseas in May and we'll have a chat you know I, I'm in touch every second day with most of my athletes you know as I said I've just been on the road for three weeks um, Perisher Melbourne back to Perisher I'll probably be back in Melbourne again. I'll be seeing the boys in Adelaide. Um, I'll be back at Perisher when Jai and Rory come back in Feb. You know, I love that side of it, um, being part of the team, getting involved in the planning. Um, I'm not writing the daily sessions. That's Justin in Melbourne, of course, and Dick. And uh, But I'd like to think I'm pretty involved in, uh, in all facets of the press preparation. Gotcha. Has there ever been a time over the years when, you know, you have clashed with coaches at all in terms of, you know, maybe they've set some training that you outright didn't agree with or you see an athlete heading down a direction that you think is the wrong road and, and you've had to step in? Oh, geez, it's interesting you put it that way. I mean, it doesn't really happen like that because we're in such close contact, you know, I, I and... I'm in situations with coaches where they value my feedback. And, you know, I'd like to think 25 years experience on the circuit and being involved at the highest level. Um, you know, uh, Justin would be the first one to say, hey, you know, we, we've done a good phase of this. I'm moving the guys into that. You know, what do you think of this? Or, or, and, and we often, do, we often, so it's, it's not a situation where things are sprung on you and, uh, I'm shocked by what's happening or, yeah, I, so your comment's an interesting one, but it hasn't really come up. I, I was in very close contact always with Coach Lee, with uh, Lagat. Um, we were like um, a band of three. In fact, there were four of us because Bernard's wife, Gladys. So it's an interesting one. We, we went to five Olympics together, the support team of Coach Lee, myself and Gladys. We were with Bernard for five Olympics. And that's an incredible strong bond. And we trusted each other and we respected each other's opinions. And funnily enough, there'd be times where I wouldn't want to bother Bernard on the circuit with something, but I needed to chat to Gladys about something that I wasn't sure of or how Bernard was looking or was he looking a bit tired or how is he feeling? I would sometimes, quite often, have a chat to her. And, uh, you know... Bernard took great strength in knowing that he had a team of three behind him that had his back, who he trusted implicitly and who knew exactly what they were doing. And he respected our opinions and insight. And that worked very well. And to be perfectly honest, 
so too it is with say Peter Bowl. You know, I think some of this, a lot of the strength he gets. You know, Pete's referred to the three J's in his life: Justin, James, and Joe. Meaning, you know, coach Justin Rinaldi and myself, and of course Joe Deng is is training partner, flatmate. You know, Pete. Pete uh, revels in the fact he's got three people, you know, who he's tight with, who he trusts implicitly. Now, if I was to say, Pete, I, I don't think this is a great idea to go charging around doing races here, there, or everywhere. I dare say he'd, I, I'd be telling him that with some pretty good background and understanding of it, and there'd be a fair bit of thinking behind it, and he'd probably accept that and recognise it. Um, so it never really comes down to disagreements. There's discussions about everything, really. Gotcha. Just quickly, back to Legat. Were you there the day that Legat uh, ran his 326, 326.34, uh, yes, I think it was, uh, second fastest ever behind, obviously, that day, I think he was about a metre behind El Garouz. Were you there that day? Not only, not only was I there, but I was in my heyday as a runner at the time, and uh, I ran with him that morning. And uh, good story because two weeks before or something like, I guess it would have been 12 days before, he'd come run up to El Garouge in Edmonton and to get a silver medal in the world champs. And we moved on to Zurich and the guys were a bit tired. And I think Legat ran from memory 3.31, maybe 3.30 behind El Garouge in Zurich, but they both looked tired. And a week later was Brussels. Anyway, we were in Tubingen and we trained well. And I, I used to do Bernard's recovery runs with him um, most days. But we went out and ran that morning at about 11 o'clock and uh, the weather was perfect and Bernard was just clipping along. And I was feeling pretty good myself and we were running okay. And, it was, and I said, Kip, I said, geez, today's the day. You're... You're, uh, if you don't run under 3.30 tonight, I'll be shocked. And I said, mate, you, you look the best you have looked all season. And he said, honestly, I feel it. And he said, I'm going to have a real crack at him tonight. I said, when he makes that pressure, that big move is 4.50 to 4.00 to 3.50 to go, just hang tough. You can do it today. It's your day. Give it everything. And he said, yeah, I feel incredible. I, I really think I can beat him tonight. So, of course, we had that wonderful race. I think it was on my knees. I was on my knees in the home straight as he got virtually level with him and just couldn't get past him. And they, what was it, Hisham, 336-1 and Bernard, 336-3. What a race. Amazing. JT, just staying on the gap just quickly, uh, all the years you worked with him, what was the highlight for you? Oh, there were so many, and, and I, quite possibly the double world championships in uh, Osaka 2007. That was pretty special. But I, I, I had many great uh, meetings and occasions that we loved. We loved the world indoors. He had three titles at 3,000, and I've always enjoyed, enjoyed the world indoor championships, and I particularly always enjoyed the 3,000 distance indoors. And it always attracts a great field. So it, it might seem a bit strange, but I, I, they were always quite special. Um, we, we really loved them. Did you think back to the, the first 
even the first races, uh, the, the first time Legat ran 3.30 in Monaco, went out to beg, borrow and steal to get him into the, into the meet in um, uh, 1999 um, when he had a best of 3.33. And uh, the meet promoter rang me up and asked me if I could withdraw Legat because he needed to put someone else in. And I, I said, oh, please, look, I'm telling you, he's ready. He's ready to run great. I promise you he will. Anyway, watching Legat kick off the final bend, go past Morselli into second place, follow Noah Nien home. You know, it was a really uh, special occasion for us, us as a group, a small group in that time. Um, oh, God, but there's been so many, so many great times with Legat. I loved it all. As an agent, like, you know, when he went out on a whim like that and, and, um, and kind of backed Legat and, 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 you know, with the race director and really got in that start, like how much of putting your ass on the line is, is vital? And let's say the opposite happened and Legat blew up and came last by 30 metres, would, would they then not trust you the next time you kind of put your ass on the line for an athlete? Yeah, quite you know, look, it's funny. People always used to say to me, don't take it so personally. Don't get so personally involved. And I said, what are you talking about? Everything's personal. I take everything personally. You know, I'm a big, big fan of the Premier League and you look at Sir Alex Ferguson. Of course, it's personal for him. You know, and we see the great football managers in Australia and I'm a bit of a rugby league guy. You know, we see... Desi Hasler or Craig Bellamy losing their mind on the sidelines. We love it. You know, they've got everything invested in it. And that's always been the case with me. There's been nothing impersonal, nothing detached. I've got everything on the line. I'm hard on the sleeve and uh, I'm fully committed. If Legat had had a shocking race, I would have eaten humble pie and I would have said, no, 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 but I'm telling you he's got more in him. Right, gotcha. Uh, JT, how many months on the how many months of the year would you spend on the road? Uh, look, over twenty odd years, nearly twenty five years, it's pretty much been six months. Um, you know, for a long time, I was going over for indoors. Lagat and Augustine Chogi were running indoors, uh, so I'd go to Kenya for their cross country, then go on to Europe for say five six weeks. And uh, often be back in Australia with Radisha for the Australian season. And then that was, that was a short interlude. I've always enjoyed those months. And then um, basically I'd head to Europe middle of May and I'd come back mid to end September. It would, it would work out on average about six months for 25 years, which I've I mean, loved. I'm assuming, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but... You know, chatting to various agents over the years, like, you know, I have a few friends that went into other sports, you know, uh, football, soccer, cricket, uh, and they're doing a, you know, they're printing money, right? But I'm presuming that when you become an, a, an agent to, uh, you know, track and field athletes and road athletes that this is a thing, yes, you make money, but uh, maybe not as much as you could have, and it's a, it's a life of passion. Am I correct, or is that, or is it actually? Yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, there's about 50 of us around the world who are proper sort of agents, full-time agents, and all of us have a love for the sport. You know, funnily enough, we're often a bit maligned. <laughs> we 
we get a few uh, few things slung our way, but on the whole, you know, we're, we're guys and women who love the sport and are in it because of their passion for the sport. Now, yeah, we, we earn a living from it and you hope to earn a better living. And But I, I think many, many of Many of my colleagues have recognised over the years that most of us could be doing better elsewhere, certainly, and, you know, getting involved in some other sport, even in the sports agency side. But it's track and field that's our, our one love, and I'm certainly part of that ilk. How special was the Olympics and what Peter Bowl pulled off? Uh, he obviously captivated a nation, but uh, there were many in the running community that had been hoping and predicting such such things from him for many, many years. How how was the occasion for you? How special was it? What was the highlight? And what went on behind the scenes that maybe other people, you know, isn't common knowledge that you could perhaps share with us? Well, look, it, firstly, it was fantastic. And it it's wonderful, a guy like Pete, who, you know, has been battling away around the top 20, around the top 30 in the world, you know, struggling to break through to the top echelons and hadn't quite, you know, we hadn't quite got the secret and whatever, but he'd gradually been chipping away. He's a vastly improved athlete to the one who uh, competed in Rio in 2016. Um, you know, he ran great in 18, not so well in 19, 220 was COVID, but things were moving quite nicely for Pete. But it, he, he came into good shape. And, you know, he wasn't named in the first tranche of the Australian team after the Nationals. He didn't have an automatic qualifier then. But we went to Gold Coast and, uh, you know, I was with Pete on Gold Coast uh, for a couple of weeks and he got his two qualifiers there. And we knew he was in good shape. And um, Justin was in Victoria, couldn't travel because of COVID and state restrictions, etc. But we were in close contact and we all agreed that, Pete looked great. He looked ready for the Olympics in June, but we didn't want him to go stale. And we, we made the decision to get on a plane and go to Europe. And uh, Pete enjoys being in Europe, in Tübingen, in Germany so much. He, he, uh, he, we decided to go for a month. So Pete was based there for a month. And we, we, we thought we'd only have two races. He didn't need much. So he ran a small meet in Nancy and then um, he ran in, um, in Gateshead. And uh, he, he got a first and a third, and we just knew he was in good shape, and we were super excited about his prospects. He knew he was in great shape, and uh, we had a feeling it was going to go pretty well. Uh, you don't always, as an athlete, uh, get everything timed so nicely that you feel on a really good upswing just when you need to be. And Pete certainly was. And, of course, it was just very memorable. Uh, the Australian public get to know Peter Bowl, and it, it, it's been it's been remarkable the um, the reaction to him, the reception he's got. I, I've loved every minute of it. It's it's well deserved, of course. How's um how's Pete been going since the Olympics? I mean, it must be hard to to come back after such a high, uh, get back to the reality of life and the reality of being an elite athlete. How's he how's he been going? Well, Pete's a mature, mature guy. He's no fool, you know. And, and But we had a lot of talks and I said to him, geez, mate, there's been many an intelligent athlete who's 
just let things slip a bit in, in those small one percenters and just haven't been able to back up from a great year. And we've talked and I, I've talked at length about Lagat and his approach. You know, Bernard used to revel in celebrating his wins and, you know, being world champion and whatever. He'd say to me, but hey, JT, once 1st of November starts, it didn't exist and I'm going to act as if I've never done anything. And, and Pete and I, you know, we agreed that's a wonderful approach to have. And he said to me on, on uh, you know, a number of occasions that he's desperately keen to not only stay at that level but to kick on and challenge for medals. And he wasn't, he says to me, I'm not going to be one of those guys who has a great year and doesn't back it up. So, you know, I, I'm confident he looks in great shape. Um, you know, in Melbourne this last week, I saw him to do two superb sessions um, that really impressed me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a soft judge, I don't think. I've seen a lot of good running and I've seen Pete do a lot of good running, but I was, I was really impressed the strength he showed. Um, we're starting off the season in two weeks. Uh, he's got a lot to look forward to. In fact, but I tell him, listen, don't feel you need to light it up every meet. You know, don't be feeling you're going to try and break national records every time you run. Let's have a good, solid build-up, good Aussie season. Let's run 144. Um, you don't need to do it every time, but let's have a good Aussie season and we kick on to Europe with a vengeance just like last year. Uh, what about Dan? You know, he's had, obviously, uh, not the best few years. And um, he, he, what, can you, what yeah. can you tell us about how he's going? Don't give up on my guy, Joey Dean. We're coming. He's coming. Um, he's had a good – I like his shape. Unfortunately, he's had a bit of a niggle this last week, a bit of a hip flexor thing, which we don't think is that serious, but it's just – it's a bit of a niggle. Uh, I'm hoping he can run Adelaide, but he might not debut in Adelaide in two weeks. Um, but Joey's trained well. I was happy. I was impressed with his shape in uh, November when I saw him and again this last week. You know, Pete moved back from Perth the uh, 28th of December and the two guys moved into an apartment together in Richmond and they're, they're doing all their sessions together and they're knocking off some great work. And, you know, I, I'm very confident um, we'll get Joey back to the... Uh, get him back into the, the qualifying time for Eugene. You know, and I'd love to have him. We're we desperately keen to get him back in there. Great. There's been there's been a lot of very very talented athletes over the over the years uh, who who for, so for whatever reason uh, decided not to be managed by you know Melbourne Track Club and Nick Badeau and uh, and Nick is obviously a master at getting getting these guys starts in in some of the best races on the European circuit. Looking at your new recruits, Jai Rory Bandiri, uh, obviously you know we we would everyone would love to see these guys and girls lining up in in major European meets week in, week out. Is that the, is that the plan for this coming European uh, season? Well, you know, there's, everyone's got a different approach, uh, sort of training program. And, and as I said, alluded to before, you know, we're talking with Dick, we're getting plans. Um, you might not see Jai running in Doha um, in, you know, May, because he might be trying to get altitude in America. 
Um, and that will be because that's, that's how we deem the best approach, you know, for them to build up. So, look, yes, you will see. And to run through, they're all three different cases. And to take Jai as an example, I mean, he's a superb athlete. I, I, I'm incredibly impressed with Jai and uh, I'm very excited. He, he had a, he's had a bit of a hot spot on his hip um, late sort of October, November and missed a couple of months. But he's come back with a vengeance, been at altitude. He looks magnificent and starting to produce some really good sessions. I, I'm I'm very confident of Jai and you're going to see him up. The, it won't be the third place in Oslo last year. It won't be the last time you'll see him placing, I can tell you. Um, Benderi, Benderi, look, it's a step into the unknown in a way, stepping up to 800. She's a 400-metre goal um, without the background. She, you know, I'm going to get her every opportunity to run that. If she doesn't get the 159.5 in Australia, this Australian season, I'll be making sure she gets the opportunity in Europe. She certainly um, would like to get her to Eugene. I mean, I, I, she's, a, she's a very interesting example. I can't wait to see her run in Adelaide. I'm fascinated how she's going to transfer to the 800. In my mind, you can't move as smoothly and beautifully as she does and not just be very comfortable. But right now, I say to Bendiri that she would be world-class at 500 and 600 metres right now, you know, running with most but the top couple in the world. And, of course, the thing Mo, you know, stands out because she's a 49-second girl. But Bendiri's a 51-flat girl, and we think she'll probably end up running quicker than that as she gets stronger and stronger. But there aren't many, as I look into that Olympic women's 800 final, and I'm looking at girls at best who are 52-5 for 400 and 53-5. And I'm looking at Bendiri and thinking, you know, as she gets stronger over the next couple of years, I can't believe that she's not going to be globally competitive at the very highest levels. Um, we're fairly relaxed. I, I make no lavish uh, forecast for what's going to happen in Adelaide. I'm fascinated. But, but Justin's working, you know, day in, day out to get her that extra strength without scaring her off with all these crazy distance runs. You know, she's gradually getting stronger and we think she's going to transition. So that's the long-winded answer of saying, look, I, I, I'm not sure when you're going to see her in the Diamond Leagues, but hopefully there'll be an occasion this year. Um, and hopefully she surprises on the upside and she performs, qualifies for Eugene, competes in Eugene, competes in Birmingham and impresses the hell out of us because that's what I can see happening. Now, R Rory, I'm, I'm super impressed with him, super dedicated, professional, wonderful guy, great athlete, and I, I, I'm going to enjoy being around him running a few PBs on the circuit. I can see a few up the sleeve this year. Um, obviously... We all know that the 1500 is incredibly difficult. It's Australia's best event, I think you'd say right now. What with Stewie, Stewie McSwain, Ollie Hoare and Jai, they're three absolute top draw athletes, not even to mention Rambo. You know, Matt Ramston's a, you know, I've always been a big fan of Rambo, super athlete. And Joy, uh, sorry, Rory, uh, he's having a crack. 
he's he's approaching it like there's nothing stopping me. No one's expecting me. I'm going to have a real go here. So I, I love the 1500. I can't wait to the Aussie Nationals um, in early April. Um, what we have there, I, I'm not sure that Stewie will run the 15, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Jai having a race with Ollie Hoare um, and Rambo and Rory. It's going to be great. Uh, obviously, first meet the first meet Adelaide, right? Yes. Yes, and we got two 800s there. So at the moment, we've got Pete and Joe running the eight and Bendary running the eight, women's eight. Um, there's no 1,500. Uh, Jai and Rory might run three, probably run 3K at the Aussie national title in 12th of March. Um, maybe they'll have a hit out before then, but uh, that's when they'll probably get rolling. But, yes, Adelaide in two weeks we're excited about. So, T, we were going to touch on your plans for the plans that you have for your athletes for Europe this year. We can't, We maybe have touched on elements of that already, but I just wanted to, you know, is there anything we haven't touched on in terms of the plans for these guys uh, in Europe? Yeah, look, it varies a bit. And uh, Pete, Pete uh, probably will go and run Doha, um, Birmingham in May, and then he'll be based with me in Tübingen in Germany. Um, could well be Dick and Jai Rory are in uh, in um, US, possibly Albuquerque, and running a few American meets. Jai, Jai, you'll see in Oslo again, where he was third last year. You know, with Rory, uh, Joe and Benderi, when we sit here right now, I can't tell you what races they'll run. We have to see what they come up with in the Aussie season. Obviously, the better you run here, um, the better the prospects you've got into the top-end races that you'd like. But uh, Benderi will be over with us in Europe, over with Pete, Joe and I um, in Tübingen, I would say, from mid to late May. And hopefully we're preparing her and Joe Deng, you know, to go on to Eugene. But... You know, the, the, the plans are all based about, okay, how many races do we want? What's the perfect build-up for the World Championships, which start 15th and by, you know, looking backwards. So you look back on it and think, okay, do we want three races? Do we want four races? When do we want our last race? How long do you want to be in America before the championships? That's, that's a lot of the thinking. And then, obviously, you're getting on a plane going over to Birmingham, um, we don't quite know who, who and how will be selected, but I think most people who run in Eugene would love to run in both and will be only too happy. Certainly Pete, Jai would love to run both. Everybody would. But we'll go on to Europe and then we finish the Commonwealth Games, what, about 8th or 9th of August, something like that. And if the guys have still got good running in their legs, you know, we'll, we'll hang around for another four or five weeks, run some European meets, have a bit of fun. Um, you know, the pressure's off, try and run fast, try and get in good races and run PBs. So that's the thinking. There's a lot of talks, talking about it at the moment. Um, it's an exciting time of year because you need to see who's running what, what shape you're in, who's ready to go. You know, therefore, how much am I pushing to get you know, certain athlete into a certain race. 
Uh, JT, I reached out to a few few friends before chatting to you, and and um, one in particular wanted to know. Uh, obviously, most of your athletes, I think, all your athletes are on added without have um, Adidas contracts. I assume you're allowed yes. to you're allowed to negotiate with any brand, or do you have an exclusivity deal with Adidas in place? No, don't mind me asking. Yeah, a- absolutely allowed to, and, and um, yeah, the, the no exclusivity. As I said, it, look, Ben Leary was with Adidas before me. You know, she's got a year left on her Adidas deal, um, so that's a coincidence, if you like. Pete and Joe. You know, we signed nice deals in the beginning of 2019 after they had great years in 2018. And Adidas have been great for the guys. Now, so with Jai and Rory, I'm looking around, and most of us would know it's not the greatest time in the market at the moment. And, yeah, there was another company who I'd had discussions with but didn't go particularly far. And as I said, Adidas and Spencer Nell had been good to the guys I guess happy working with me, uh, wanting to do more, liked what I said about Jai and Rory, liked what I said about what we hope to do as a group. So they came up with some very agreeable terms, some good offers, and therefore we were accepting of it. But no, no exclusivity. Um, that it, it doesn't happen like that. Another question came through about appearance fees, whether it be a track meet or a road race or whatever, uh, and, you know, if athletes still make much money from appearance fees. Well, look, there's a, there's a misconception in the sport. Appearance fees, you know, have gradually dwindled since the, over the last 20 years, you could say. And over the last, uh, there's been a movement toward that, and far less people receive appearance fees uh, than people would realise. Prize money is what athletes are competing for. There would be possibly one, and in some events, two people who appear who receive appearance fees. Um, and the other world-class competitors are coming for prize money. So when people think you're just wanting there and turning up and, and cashing a cheque, it doesn't happen like that. You know, Pete Bowl would have gone into, you know, there are, as a medalist at the Olympics, you, you get looked after a bit, you get a bit of an appearance fee, but only really the gold medalist will really get a meaningful appearance fee. Um, it's just a bit of a myth that athletes are getting rich on the circuit on appearance fees. I wish it was the case. Uh, JT, one other question came through from another friend about, um, yep. you know, the importance of social media and, uh, I think I think Bowles social media account literally exploded during the Olympics, uh, deservedly so. Uh, you know, you look at some athletes like Jen Jen uh, Gregson, and she has a huge, huge uh, Instagram account, and obviously she makes money off that. How yep. how important are these bloody social media accounts? Is it something you care about, or is it something that you don't even look at for a guy like Jai? Who cares? He's just a good runner. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the guru. I'm not the expert in this. I, what can I say? The guys would probably claim I'm a different generation. I, I, <laughs> I keep an eye on the Instagram accounts, and sometimes I suggest that they might take a certain photo off or something like that. But uh, on the whole, I, I, I like the content. You know, Pete does a pretty good job. So does Joe. 
And I know people look to that and they like that and that's great. And uh, it's important to companies like Adidas, Adidas uh, follow what the guys are doing. Um, I, I, I'm obviously aware of the importance of it. It's, it's not my massive interest. As I said before, my thing's all about performance and the, uh, you know, that's what I'm all, the social media account, well, that goes along with it. You know, it goes along with the flow. The guys do a pretty good job. They're not asking me for advice on what to put on their Instagram, put it that way. <laughs> great, great. Uh, JT, it's been great having you on. Uh, I think we've covered a lot and I think people are going to get a lot out of it and um, keep, up, keep up the great work. It's, it's awesome to see. Uh, you know, another agent out there in Australia doing such good work for, for our athletes and uh, it'd be good to touch base with you again next year. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Yeah, look forward to it. Here's to a good 222. It's going to be here, I think.